How's everybody doing? It's cold, right? We're doing all right? We're doing all right? Hey, we are excited that we are doing a, a series on wisdom. Um, at the end of the service, we will have communion. But for those of you who are used to a very structured thing, we're going to do communion at a slightly different time. So we don't want you panicking, saying, they forgot communion, okay? Just letting you know that up front. As we go through this series on wisdom, which is what that word means in Hebrew, as we go through this, we've been really asking ourselves, like it says in Proverbs 1, what does it mean to walk in the wisdom? It begins with the fear of the Lord. It is the fear of the Lord that will lead us to wisdom. And that's the fear of missing out on the presence of God, of missing our value, missing our worth, missing our dignity. And, and all of that is so vital to understand because we believe that God has a plan for you and that ultimately by resting in God's plan for your life, that's where you'll find the peace that He wants for you. So how do you stay there? You stay there humil in humility. Humility is what will keep us in the proper posture before God. And we discussed that week how hard it is to have humility because the moment you think you have humility, then by definition you don't. And so we asked you to stay curious about other people because as you care about other people, it keeps you from elevating yourself above them or below them and it keeps you a proper perspective. And as you do that, then walk with integrity, as Drew talked about last night. Integrity keeps us in step with the plans and the purposes of God for our lives. And that's where you'll have wisdom. So, Daniel, you said we've talked about the idea of the fear of the Lord. You, we've talked about humility. We've talked about integrity. Does this week build on that? Well, in a sense, yes, but in a sense, no. What I want to attempt to do today is talk about one of the attributes that you should have one of the things that we should talk about when we're walking in the presence of God, we should have wisdom that helps us to avoid the temptations that will keep us from falling away from wisdom. So I could have picked a bunch of different topics, but one of the topics that is found throughout the book of Proverbs over and over again is anger. And this is a, a simple application. We could have picked topics on sexual sins. We could have picked topics on gossip. But we picked the idea of anger to show you one example of how the enemy is smart. Our adversary wants to take you away from walking in the presence of God. And how walking in the presence of God will lead you to, to know how to handle anger. Because we live in a world of outrage, right? We live in a world that, that seems to think if I can be louder, if I can talk over you, then you have to believe me that I'm right because I'm very passionate. We live in a world that, that seems justified by all the injustices creating more injustices. And how as Christians should we respond when the anger starts coming up in our life? And how should we navigate that while walking in the presence of God? Human anger devalues our view of others. Do you realize that? Human anger devalues our view of others because what ends up happening is we have one of two extremes. Anger really comes from one of two ways, one of two places. One, either you have robbed me of my dignity. I feel like you are attacking my character, my worth, my uh, uh, ability to be a human being. And therefore, I'm angry. Or, that's the easy one to talk about it. The other one is, I think that you are beneath me. And I think that this world exists for me. 
And we walk around, and if you didn't give me what I wanted, I have a right to be angry because you are here for my service. And so if you're having anger, it comes from one of those two places if it's really creeping up. But the impulse of anger is not actually a sin. It's what we do with it. And as you have this desire in your life to either find worth or value by putting other people down or to say, stop robbing me of my dignity and my value. How do we handle that and navigate that as followers of Jesus? Well, if we are walking in wisdom, our words will be wise. Say, that's pretty obvious, but what does that really look like? Let me talk to you about Proverbs 15.1. Proverbs 15.1 says this, a gentle Answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Here's the gist of it before we go into four points, four truths about this. Here's the gist of it. You will use your words in a situation where anger is found to either escalate or de-escalate the situation. Did you get that? When anger begins to rise up, you will use your words either to escalate or de-escalate the situation. Here's what we mean by that. Four truths found in this. Shout out to the interpreter's commentary where I got some of this information. Yes, kids, you have to quote your sources even as adults. Okay, four truths about uh, Proverbs 51. Kindness matters. Kindness matters. And all the moms in the room went, Amen! Right? It would tell them that for their whole life. Kindness matters. And kindness matters because it, it implies that I actually want to be nice to other people. In other words, this is what guards us from going into that second temptation, which says that you all are here to serve me, my needs, my desires, my... And kindness says that as I approach people in the world around me, as I run into the person at the grocery store, at the bank, at the wherever, at the school, I'm going to see them as made in the value and the dignity that God has given them. And therefore, I don't have a right to be rude. I'm going to be kind. And that in and of itself should be simple. If you want more about that, talk to mom. Okay? Um, the second part of that, though, is sometimes the world isn't always kind to you. And that's when you have to go, courtesy in reply is equally important. When that person is rude, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to escalate the situation by pouring uh, a gas on a fire, or are you going to pour water on it? Are you going to try to calm? Are you going to say, hey, what's going wrong? What's wrong in your world? How can I help solve this? Are you going to give them a patronizing smile or a sincere smile? And yes, they can tell the difference. Are you going to be the one that says, I don't know why you're angry, but I know that how I respond to you in your anger will probably not only help me, but will help you. Third truth that this passage, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Third, there is often wisdom in silence. But Daniel, that doesn't seem right. We're supposed to be able to say what's on our mind, right? There's wisdom in silence. And I want to unpack this in this way. My dad used to say this phrase, and you've probably heard this before. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. 
right? And in doing this, by the way, this is the greatest sermon ever to watch people's reactions of faces. I just want to say that. In every service, it's been a delight as husbands and wives laugh, as kids point to their dads, you know, all that fun stuff. It's been really funny. I will not share that as a pastor. I'm, 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 I'm quarantined, to, you know, to the confidentiality of your facial expressions, except for Britt Jenks. But the reality of that as we go through with this is when we unpack this, I want you to see a couple things, that there is wisdom in silence. What about wisdom in silence? How do we practice that? Okay, first of all, when somebody does something to annoy you, that's a good time to remain silent. What do you mean by that? Well, let's say you have a husband that snores. And last night, he snored all night long. And you woke up this morning and you are angry at the man for snoring when he couldn't help it unless he ignored the CPAC that the doctor prescribed to him because he's being stubborn and doesn't care about you. That is a sin, right? When he's only caring about himself and his selfishness and, and oh, this is hilarious. You also see each other's faces. Um, but the reality is if he's snoring and can't help it, you probably ought not to be angry at him because he's just annoying you. It wasn't willful love, okay? You understand that? Or, I don't know, let's pick another illustration. Let's suppose that you have that spouse who forgets to enter exit when she takes stuff out of the microwave. And so there's three seconds left on the microwave and doesn't seem to understand that a microwave is supposed to have a clock that beeps. And the clock is supposed to be up there. And if you leave 0.03 seconds on the microwave, you are doing it wrong. Well, that may not be a sin. That may be more your problem than hers. Right? But see, in this world, we've, we've bought into this idea that I have the right to be angry all the time because what you're doing bothers me. And here's what I would say. If it's annoying, try to keep your mouth shut. But does that mean we can't ever say anything that is annoying to help someone? No, if someone is annoying you and you just can't get past it, then what you probably should do is go to them in kindness and love and ask them to change. And if they are willing to try to change, then give them the grace to do so. But even if they don't, if it's not a sin, in other words, they're not doing it on purpose to make you angry. Hello, teenage boys, right? Hello, teenage daughters. Then it's not a sin. Now, if you're doing something just to annoy someone, you should feel conviction. But if it's just something that is annoying, the problem is really with you. When else should I remain silent? Here's something else. If someone does something that is slightly out of character for who they are, and it's an actual sin, maybe they told that random lie. Guess what? My theological opinion, I always try to differentiate the opinion and when it is always fact, okay? My theological opinion on this, if someone does a sin that is out of character for who they are, they are walking with God, but they can't be perfect, I suggest you keep your mouth shut on that too. But they sinned. Someone should tell them. No. If they continue to do it, someone should tell them. That's a blind spot. But maybe, just maybe, if they sin once, and it's not matching with who they are for the long term, let the Spirit convict them. You don't have to be the Spirit. 
because they're trying to walk the spirit. They'll be like, I don't know if I like this. I like telling people what's wrong with them. Right. But you don't like it when people tell what's wrong with you. Oh, man, I'm speaking in the mirror today. Right? Now, if someone is intentionally sinning against you, is that when I get to bring the wrath of God on them, right? No. Is that when I get to lash out with anger? No. You see, we as Christians are called harsh words stir up wrath to de-escalate. So what I need you to see is wisdom, the fourth part of this truth of 15.1, will stop the cycle of sin while fools return to sin. A wise person will ask, even when the temptation comes, even when someone is sinning, how can I point to Jesus? How can I point them to the wisdom that God has? How can I help them navigate the waters of life in a way that's healing, not escalating? So those are the four truths of sin. So how do I handle that? How do I come to the place where I can, how do I do this? What does it look like to practice that? Well, the practice of it is found in Proverbs 15 too. It says, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive. But the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. The tongue, that you realize that's how you speak, right? The tongue of the wise makes knowledge. What is knowledge around here? But intimacy, as you have intimacy with God, as you have a relationship with God, the tongue of the wise, the person who's walking in the presence of God, will make the presence of God attractive to other people. Why? Because it's something that's different. But the fools, those not walking with God, will blurt out things that show you're not walking with God. No one can do this perfect, right? But how we handle it matters. So let's dive into that. Two actions we can take from verse 15 to. One, see the big picture. See the big picture goes back to humility, which is about staying curious. See the big picture implies that you understand where they're coming from. And, and let me give you a silly illustration that I'm not overly concerned about, but it's just a silly one that I thought of because of me. Okay? I have red hair. You may not realize this. But if I didn't share this illustration with you, somebody would come up to me after the service and go, good thing you preached on anger with your red hair and all, right? Because I've been told that all the time since I was born that redheads have anger. I actually really don't have much. Do I have an anger? Sometimes I can ask my boys, but I'm not known as an angry dude. You realize that, right? It's just, I mean, those of you who know me well, I'm just, that's not me. Now, when I lose it, it's pretty bad. But I don't lose it very much. Now, why is it that people have always said to me, Oh, you have red hair. You must be an angry person. Let's trace this back. Where did that saying come from? Where did it, it begin? Where did it originate? Well, redheads were usually from Ireland. I know that's shocking to you. If you took my ancestry DNA, guess what? I'm part Irish. Thank you. And my Irish blood comes out in me, and Irish people for centuries were, were treated as the... Um, the bottom rung of the Caucasian Western world. Okay? 
And so there is times where they were treated as uh, almost like slaves. We could argue whether they were slaves, but potato farmers, they were the people who did the job that nobody else wanted to do. Nobody liked the Irish. And, and so it, that translated over into the United States. When the immigrants started coming, you could find stores in Boston, for instance, that came in. When people applied, as you applied, there were signs up that said, Irish need not apply. Now, let's say you walk into that store and you have red hair. Are they going to let you apply? No, because you're Irish. And then you sit there and you go, well, that's not fair. And you lose your cool and you get all mad and you go, that's why we're not hiring you because you have red hair, sucker. Irish people are bad people. Well, could it be that you didn't give me a chance to get a job, that you devalued me, that you didn't see me with dignity? Now, that does not translate into the modern world, does it? Well, not really. I don't often feel attacked or abused. But do you realize that South Park took a term, ginger, which, by the way, is culturally accepted. I'm not going to stop that today. But a ginger is a root, a derogatory term that South Park made famous by calling redheads gingers and everybody's like hey ginger redheads are calling each other's gingers hey what's up that's not a good term people i can't change that i'm not trying to change it i'm telling you how this works and what ended up happening was redheads have a complex and so when you tell a redhead they have a temper they have a right to be angry and they're going to punch you in the face because the world is against redheads not really but it can feel that way and maybe the big picture means that you have to step in their shoes. And if the person is acting out, maybe there's a reason they're acting out. Maybe they have been misunderstood. Maybe they have been abused. Maybe they're tired of being the only person in the room that thinks the way they think. And they're crying out, somebody listen, I need to find my value. And they don't know how to respond appropriately because the presence of God is not in them. And so they're responding out of the natural thing that comes up from within them, which is anger. And instead of foiling gasoline on that flame, saying, see, this proves you are not of value. Maybe we need to find the value that's within them and pull that out. Do you see the big picture? When someone's lashing out in anger, it's because they don't feel valued. Or they're very arrogant. And you won't know the difference, so try to be empathetic. Well, what do I do with that? Second one, the second thing you can grab from this thing is, and see the big picture, press pause on your anger. Press pause on my anger. How do I press pause? We can pause everything. You can pause a live TV show, people. That blows my mind. Like, don't call me. I'm 30 seconds behind on the sports game. I don't want to know what happened. I had to go to the bathroom. You know that stuff? I, amazed. How are we supposed to pause our anger? There's no remote control to that. Well, here's what I want you to say. When I, when I say press pause to your anger, I, I alluded to it earlier, that when you have those angry feelings arise, that is not a sin. It's really not. It's no more a sin than the person who sits there and goes, oh, that would be a juicy bit of gossip, but then doesn't gossip it. Or the person who's happily married, but happens to see a beautiful person walking across them, whether it be another man or another woman, and think, 
huh, that's an attractive person, but I'm married, my wife's more attractive, holla, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's sitting there recognizing that you have these natural impulses. It's what you do with them. And anger in and of itself is not unbiblical. Righteous anger. No, the feeling of anger. But we mistaken the feeling of anger as a right. And the only way it is right is it of God. And if you are walking in the presence of God, guess what? You won't put other people down and you won't find your value and worth in what they say. And what does that look like? Let's get into it. So how do you pause your anger? You pause your anger by trying to understand the situation from all sides. Proverbs 14, 29. This is what we just alluded to. There's four of these, by the way, if you want to write them down. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Why is the situation escalating? The foolish person gives a quick response. A patient person pauses and says, what's going on here? What's, what's really the issue? So if you're arguing with your spouse, hello newlyweds, over how you roll the toothpaste or if you squeeze it, it probably isn't actually about the toothpaste or whether the toilet paper goes this way or that way. It's over control, power, and I do you love me. Right? What is going on? Press pause and try to understand what's going on. Second, press pause on your anger by trying to listen first. We covered this a little bit earlier too, but try really to listen first. James 1, 19 through 20. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. You can do that quickly. And how you know you're listening well is if you can repeat what they've said. A lot of times you know you're angry when you aren't really listening to what they're saying. You're thinking of your comeback. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. It's slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. When? Ever. 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 Does that mean we don't have truth? Oh, we have truth. We have truth, but we point people to the cross. Let me explain how this is hard because I think what we, we want as churches is to gather with a group of sinners who share the same sins and judge other people. <laughs> so let's talk about what that might look like. Let's say we are a church that sits there and goes, man, this certain sec type of sexual sin is an abomination before the Lord, right? How dare these people do that? But all the while, there's these 14 other sexual sins that are happening in the church and we don't care about. That's not really about the purity of seeking God as much as you trying to feel better than them. And the truth is, if you've never lusted at another man or another woman in your entire life, then you have the right to talk about judging others for sexual sins. If not, you point them to the truth, marry it with grace, and let God handle the rest. Whoop! Love you. Third, press pause on your anger. Oh, by the way, the way that resolves is when you listen to what's going on in their stories, you are able to hear them. When people hear that they are heard, they will listen to what you say more. 
okay? That was free. Third, press pause on your anger by not giving another person the reins to your emotions. I love this one. I love it. Proverbs 12, 16, a fool's displeasure is known at once, but whoever ignores the insults is sensible. When you get angry, guess what you're doing? Your anger comes because somebody else is not treated you the way that you feel like you deserve to be treated. Whether or not that is self-righteousness or arrogance or they actually messed up. But when you allow your anger to grow, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm no longer in control of my emotions. Here, you take the reins to my emotions. And as long as you want to keep whipping this horse, I'm going to keep chasing after it. That's not why. Why do you want to let someone else dictate your emotions? Well, that makes me angry that they're dictating my emotions. The fool feeds the cycle. The wise one breaks the cycle. Fourth, press pause on your anger by not giving it the opportunity to fester. Ooh, this one's hard. Okay, I'm going to read a couple of verses here, but the first verse I'm going to read is not actually the first verse in the passage we're about to read. I want you to listen to Ephesians 4, 26, I think. When you throw that up there, I don't want, I, I messed up my computer. Oh, you're awesome, thank you. Be angry and do not sin. We like that one. Be angry. I can be angry and not sin. It says that right in the Bible. Let's look at it in context. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away, lying, speak the truth, each one to his own neighbor, because we are members of one another. Therefore, putting away all our problems and realizing that we are all in this together and finding common unity and finding value and worth that you were made with the dignity of God and you were made with the dignity of God and you're a princess and you're a king and you're a queen and, and all of this in the image of God that you were made with value and worth. Therefore, be angry and do not sin. So when someone wrongs you, because they will, don't sin by pausing it and not allowing it to fester. Don't go down angry giving the devil an opportunity so how do we not let it fester you ask yourself why am i so angry you usually find that it's within you not them why am i is it because i'm not walking with god and i don't feel good about myself is it because i feel lonely is it because i feel depressed why am i so angry is it because someone cut me off in the car? Is it because someone attacked you at work? And you're taking it out on the dog at home? Why am I so angry? I know I'm a dog lover too. It made me sad too. Some faces I got there were priceless. Why am I taking this so personal? Because it is personal, is it? Or are they just taking it out on you because they've had a bad day? Third, can we agree to disagree? Say, that's not right because the world should revolve around what I think. Is it in God's word as clear black and white truth? Okay, I'll stand on that. The rest of the time I better keep my mouth shut. 
I can have opinions, but I better be careful where I stand. Can I calmly work on a solution? Now, I don't expect if you struggle with anger to walk out of a 30-minute sermon and all of a sudden be master of it. That's where truth and grace measure. But what would it look like if we really did try to do that? What would it look like if we at least took a step closer to putting down our anger? What if it, we really tried to pause our anger? So this is our daily uh, training application this week. We want you to pause your anger, allowing wisdom to prevail. Allow wisdom to prevail by pressing pause on your anger. In other words, I'm not going to lash out. I'm going to pause. I'm going to try to see the big picture. I'm going to try to listen. I'm going to try to understand where they're coming from. I'm going to ask myself, why do I feel this? And I'm not going to let this fester. I'm going to pause, and I'm going to try. And here's what I ask you to do. Parents, you may say to your kids, we're working on a family as pausing our anger. Okay? Spouses, you may not say to your spouse, whoa, pause your anger. That's not de-escalating the situation, <laughs> right? Boyfriends, girlfriends, no. Best friends, no. Non-best friends, no. Don't everybody come up to me and go, whoa, pause your anger. <laughs> I've already heard that like 70 times this morning. Thank you. I appreciate you heard the application. Pause. Allowing God to move. That's why we think worship's so important. So we're going to enter a time where you understand you can get alone with God because really the only way to truly understand how you're supposed to relate to other people is to relate to how God relates to you. To see that he allowed his wrath to be poured out on him. That's why we celebrate communion. He died for you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, it begins there. It's going to be hard for you to control your anger if first and foremost you are walking in the wisdom of God. Why? Because if you are walking with the presence of God, your life is really about you. And if your life is about you, you're going to be an angry person at some level. But when you relinquish that and you allow God to move, you begin to rest. Anger is just one issue. We could talk about any of those other topics. All of it comes back to when you really chase after the presence of God, it should change you. So let's do that today, allowing God to change you. We're going to worship and then we're going to come back and celebrate a communion, a time of common unity, as it's called, the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do that together for those who have a relationship with Jesus. But right now, would you just join us as we pray and then follow that up with singing to God, allowing Him to calm us, to rest in Him. And if you're feeling angry right now that this sermon was on anger, give you a chance to get alone with God and, and wrestle with it. God, thank you for how you move and breathe in our lives. We ask that you continue to move among us that we would rest in you, that you are our peace, our joy, our comfort, our strength. God, we don't pretend to be a room full of saints. But God, you don't want us to see ourselves as a room full of sinners either. You want us to see us walking with you. So God, as we look in the mirror, may we see you standing with us. May your presence guide us. God, may we take one step closer to you, giving you whatever stands in the way of us chasing after you. In your righteous and holy name we pray. Amen.